to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 17. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 17. We're going to read verses 11 through 19, and then we're going to attach an addendum or additional verses of scriptures to it out of Colossians 3 verses. And when you have found Luke chapter 17, if you would stand and honor the reading of scriptures today. This particular miracle is limited to the gospel of Luke. It's not the only passage in which Jesus healed someone that was facing this dreaded disease, but it's the only particular incident. This is the only time this incident is captured by any of the gospel writers. Here in the 11th verse it says, It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. And with a very quiet, hushed, very pious, religious, respectful, non-disturbing voice, he glorified God. Is that how your Bible reads? It says, and with a loud voice. Come on, he gave God glory. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And now out of the book of Colossians, Apostle Paul drops a little nugget here that I would like to attach to that particular story in the Gospels. It's in the first chapter. It's just three verses. It's the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th verse. I think as this exhortation today unfolds, it will become more clear to you the basis of our thankful heart. Here in the 12th verse, it says, "...giving thanks unto the Father..." which hath made us meet or fit or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Today I want to share with you a little thought that's been in my heart. We'll expound it, and then, is this me up here that's causing this? Why, why, what am I doing? Too much turkey that's charged electronically? I'm full-powered. So, it's this thought right here. It's called my highest praise. My highest praise. And I want you to just kind of get that in your thoughts for just a moment, because I really believe that when you understand what what would stimulate your highest praise. It will liberate you to give God the highest praise. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to understand. Father, I feel very inadequate in and of myself to be able to share the Word of God today. And I pray, Lord, this morning in the name of Jesus that the anointing would break the yoke, God, that we would trust not in of ourselves, Father, for in us there is no good thing. But the anointing, Father, gives us that sweet fragrance that is of Christ. And I pray, God, let there be no distractions in our midst. Let us not think about yesterday nor anticipate tomorrow, but let our fixation be upon today. God, I ask you to bless this. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated. I think we have a heightened sense of expectation today, not only in the midst of our worship service, but through the preaching of the Word of God, because we believe that God can, through the preaching of the Word of God, do a powerful thing in our hearts and in our minds. 
He can equip us, renew us, strengthen us. He can embolden us. We can gain faith to believe God and trust the Lord during very difficult seasons of life. This particular passage here that was, we read from in Luke's gospel, chapter number 17, is a reference to ten men that were lepers. And I'd like to take a moment to expound upon the context so you can understand it in its biblical application. Leprosy in Scripture, first of all, leprosy was often the term that was identifying a variation of skin disorders. Now, it might not be full-blown leprosy. It might become full-blown leprosy. But the, those that, that, that wrote about it in Scripture often just simply used that term generically. Um, it, in its more destructive sense, its degenerating sense, the, the, the skin disorder might actually become full-blown leprosy and so therefore, when full-blown leprosy came in that particular culture, it would gnarl limbs, fingers, toes. It could disfigure facial features. Noses and ears could literally be degenerating to the point where they would fall off of the face. Well, there's still a few, um, uh, what would be the right word, cases of leprosy in our modern world today. And you can go online and you can see the, the, if I use this word respectfully, the pitiful images of the, of the people that have been affected by it. And so we can get, capture that in our mind. It was one of the most feared and destructive of all the diseases of the ancient world. And when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, in his wisdom to deal with such a destructive disease, he gave parameters to be able to identify it as early as possible, to be able to handle it adequately that would preserve the health and the welfare of the entirety of the people group. If you were living in ancient Israel in those days and you noticed a spot that appeared upon your flesh, uh, that especially that was white or that it would turn the hair of your body a different color, then you were told to go to the priest. The priest would actually examine you and if he deemed that it was either leprosy or had the potential to be leprosy, then he would quarantine you outside the camp for seven days, outside the camp, city, or the village. And after seven days, you would be reevaluated. That might happen again a second time, and so it could be up to 14 days later. And if it was determined that you were leprous, then your life could change and change radically. Now, this was a very uh, serious, again, disease to the degree that oftentimes they even had to invite the priest back to their home because the disease could plague the home itself. Sometimes entire houses had to be torn down and destroyed because of its effect. And so in order to protect that whole camp, and once that particular individual, let's just say that the priest after 7 or 14 or even 21 days of observation arrives at a diagnosis that this disease is not just a simple rash but that it is actually leprosy, then that person would be forced to move outside the city, outside the gate, outside the wall, outside the village, outside the camp during the days of the exodus. And so therefore the effects of that disease would, would be tremendous upon his family. And you can just kind of connect to it for just a moment because now if his business was inside the city, he could no longer work that particular business. Let's say he had a shop or he uh, was a carpenter of some kind, then he is no longer able to provide for his family. He could not embrace his family. He couldn't hold their hands and say thanksgiving unto God. He could not, uh, you know, work and provide for his family. He had to commune with them from a distance. And it was very, very difficult because in order to protect the entirety of the people group, the Bible gave instruction that they would actually, they would actually have to veil their face from the lower portion down, just their eyes exposed. He would have to rend his clothes, tear his clothes, and then always live in torn clothing so that if you saw him from a distance, you could identify him as a leper. And if you got closer enough within voice range, he had to cry out to warn you to stay at a proper distance by saying, unclean, unclean. 
And so that's to a degree the plight of this group of men that's recorded here in this passage of Scripture. It's saying ten men that saw him from afar. They were afar off because they were bound by the law to stay a certain distance away and would cry unclean so that you would know to avoid contact with them lest you would contaminate yourself and potentially contaminate the entirety of the village. Now, if you study the Scriptures, you'll find that there's a few passages in Scripture that highlight people that had leprosy and some of them dealt with it and and even though that they were outcasts they still had a little bit of a prominent place in scripture you remember in the book of Kings during the days of Elisha the prophet that there were four lepers that were living outside the gates of Samaria when the Syrian army had surrounded the city and besieged the city and there was a famine inside the city and the lepers were suffering from the famine as well because they weren't receiving the the benevolent offerings of the people inside the city because there wasn't nothing to give and they made they arrived at a conclusion they said why sit here we until we die if we go into the city we may die there if we go into the camp we may die there but we might as well get up and do something and they discovered the Syrian army had been spoiled by God that night and it kind of brought it broke the famine so it's just a notable passage of scripture and when you think of leprosy or a leper then many of us think about Naaman the Syrian as well during the days of Elisha the prophet who had um this, this devastating disease, but because he was a Syrian, he wasn't under the law of Moses, and he wasn't isolated outside the camp. They didn't know how to handle the disease properly, but a young girl had heard about Elisha the prophet. Y'all remember that passage of scripture in the book of 2 Kings? And she said, if my Lord would just go to Elisha the prophet, he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman ended up going and washing in the Jordan River, dipping himself in it seven times, and on the seventh time, he came up and his skin was made whole. It's just kind of just some nuggets of truth to connect with so we can understand the effect of leprosy upon that ancient culture. Leprosy was often used as a sign to convince people of the judgment of God. Let me give you an example of this. When Moses was communing with God on the backside of the Sinai Desert and God was affirming to him that he had called him and was strategically sending him back to Egypt to demand the Pharaoh to let the people of God go, Moses was kind of balking at the call of God and was needing and convincing of how God was going to assure him of that great deliverance. And he showed him certain signs. And one of the signs that he showed him was he said, Moses, take your hand and put it inside your garment. And when he put it in there and pulled it out, it was leprous as snow. And then he said, put it back in. And he put it back in and pulled it back out and it was clean and made smooth again. And it was that type of sign that he confirmed to Moses that he had been called to liberate the people of Israel. Miriam, the sister of Moses, became leprous when she criticized Moses. Now, if I was at a different top church, I'd say, lean over to your neighbor and say, be very careful when you're talking about the preacher. Just think about that for just a moment. And so she became leprous. She was put outside the camp for seven days until full repentance, and then she was welcomed back inside the camp. And one of the kings, Uzziah the king, actually in a moment of arrogancy, he chose to go into the temple, into the holy place, to burn incense upon the, uh, the, the, the candle and upon the golden altar. And, 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 and though he was not authorized to do so, and as when he got in there and he began to function as a priest he was not of the Aaronic priesthood the Bible says he became leprous and he was leprous until the day he died and he was quarantined even though he was still the king he was quarantined outside of the city camp so it's a really important thing for us to note for just a moment in scripture it's context upon those ancient cultures and also the culture of ancient Israel but the thing that I want you to see today is something that's very important for us to kind of catch many theologians believe that leprosy and Scripture represents something. Jesus often used parables that would teach people spiritual principles. Let me give you an example. He told his disciples when they had broken, uh, when he had broken the, the bread and the fishes, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And so they were, dis- they were confused about it because they didn't understand what he was talking about. And Jesus was using leaven to, 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 uh, to represent their teaching, their doctrine, their way of life, because leaven would, would have the ability to infiltrate and affect. And so the, the, the scripture gives us certain examples. Let me give you a couple uh, again, a, a little bit more clarification. The Bible says this, first that which is natural, then that which is 
spiritual. The Bible says that there are similitudes, prophetical images or prophetical pictures. The Bible uses this term speaking about natural things. They are examples and they teach spiritual truths or principles. Is everybody familiar with this? And, and the, the Apostle Paul said these things are an allegory. So again, we're looking at a, a, a means to convey truth, types and shadows. So many theologians believe that leprosy in Scripture with its devastating effect upon the human individual represents sin. Let me share with you the reasons why. It's because leprosy is degenerating and it is destructive. Well, neighbor, guess what? So is sin. It's degenerating and it is destructive. An open, illicit, sinful lifestyle. Leprosy is often hereditary. Well, so is sin. Romans 5 says this, By one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. Death passed to all men. Chapter 5, verse 19 of the book of Romans, Paul said, By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And so just as there might be a, 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 the, the, the passing of, of, of leprosy uh, through the heritage, it can also be sin. Leprosy is contagious, so is sin. You've got to be careful who you're hanging out with. That's why the Bible says don't walk. Don't walk or sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Know who you're hanging out with. The apostle Paul warned us not to be made a partaker of other men's sins. Be careful and guard yourself. So sin is also, uh, it is contagious. So guard yourself. You say, Pastor, well tell me what is sin? Just so in my elementary thinking today I can understand kind of the context of what you're talking about. Sin is twofold. There's the nature of sin and then there's the motion of sin. The sin nature is what we received through, again, just being born as a human being on the planet because by one man's sin, that death passed upon all men, and then so death passed upon all of us, even though we haven't sinned exactly after the similitude of Adam, but because we were born of the lineage of Adam, and when he became a sinner, all men became sinners. It's the nature of sin. But not only did we receive inherently the nature of sin, but we received the motion of sin or the action of sin because you can look real pious in here today real religious and real self-sanctified but let me tell you God looked upon all mankind and said there is none righteous no not one all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and so the Bible tells us that 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 sin is the transgression of the law and so you can break the law of God even when you don't have the knowledge of the law but it still makes you a sinner you can drive down Main Street and try to tell the police officer, I didn't know it was 25 miles an hour. He doesn't care whether you know that or not. You broke the law. The law was posted. It was your, uh, it was your responsibility to know the law. And so before you even knew it or had knowledge of it, you had already broken it. That's how we found ourselves sinners. The law came to show us that we were sinners. We had already broken it before we received it. And so therefore we were accounted as sinners. And that's why we have to understand sin for just a moment because with sin, we need a remedy to deliver us from that sin. Now, just as leprosy had a negative destructive effect upon the victim, his family, and their personal economy, so it is with sin. A sinful, illicit, sensual lifestyle has a damaging effect upon the family. Come on, I'm telling the truth today. It's going to affect the family. It's going to cut somebody. It's going to affect generations until there's a change that's worked. Adultery, fornication, drug addiction, alcohol. Many in our culture today, families are cursed. They're fragmented. They're broken because of the result of a sinful lifestyle. The Bible says that when sin is fully conceived, it will bring forth death. It becomes contagious and hereditary, a pattern of destructive behavior. You become what you saw your parents live in front of you. Are you hearing me today? And so we've got to recognize this today. So woven into this passage of Scripture is not only a record of a marvelous supernatural healing through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver ten men who were caught in this, uh, this evil, dreadful disease called leprosy, but woven in, hidden in the words, is also a picture of mankind and you as an individual caught in the vice of sin. And just as they needed deliverance from their disease, you and I need deliverance from our sin. The context of our passage is this. Ten men were living outside the village and they stood from afar off. 
you know what? They must have heard about Jesus, Jesus' ministry. Matter of fact, if you go into one of the other passages of the Gospels, Jesus had healed a leper previously. This particular leper actually had the courage to breach the law and he approached Jesus rather than standing afar off as he should have. And he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. And Jesus surprised all of the onlookers around him when he went over to this brother caught in such a dreadful, uh, deadly disease and he put his hand on him. I'm so thankful for Jesus today who will get right up beside us. And he loved on him and he said, I will be thou made clean. And I got, I just imagine that that word began to trickle. Matter of fact, Jesus knew what was going going to happen as a result of that one singular leper being healed. He said to him, he said, now go and show yourself to the priest because that's what the law demands that you go and show yourself to the priest so the priest can examine you and declare you to be clean. And But the Bible says that man went out and he began to publish it everywhere of what Jesus had done for him. So I can imagine now whether it's months or even a couple of years later when this other incident has, has occurred in scripture that these ten lepers sitting outside of the area of Samaria heard about the one leper that was healed. And so what they said in their heart, if he did it for one, <clears throat> that God is no respecter of persons. <clears throat> if he did it for one, and if you believe, he'll do it for you. And so they had heard about Jesus. And so when they heard about Jesus, they began to cry out. They lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, have mercy upon us. So let's put this context and let's apply it again using the analogy type of teaching to sin. When they cried out and they asked Jesus for mercy, let me tell you today, if you call upon the Lord to save you, then he will save you from your sin. The book of Romans says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the same shall be saved. I can still remember when I was eight years of age, I was a hardened sinner, a hardened sinner against God. But the children's church pastor, he said, If anybody would like to be saved, and I said, I'd like to be saved. And he brought me to that very verse of Scripture in Romans 10, the 13th verse, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the same shall be saved. It's universal. It works for us all black or white, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And no matter who you are, if you'll but cry out today and say, God, have mercy upon me, God will hear your feeble plea and he will welcome you into his eternal family. Glory to God. Whosoever. And so when Jesus heard their plea for mercy, he gave a response. And here was what his response was. He said, go and show yourself unto the priest. Because again, that was the law's requirement. The, le the priest is the only one that could actually pronounce them as being made clean. But notice what happened here. In this particular instance, he didn't spit in the dirt and make clay. He didn't send them to a pool to wash. He didn't lay his hands on them. He didn't breathe on them. He didn't wave his hand over them or send them to the Jordan River like the prophet sent Naaman long years ago. He just said, go and show yourself unto the priest. And the 14th verse says, as they went, they were cleansed. And that passage there, as it says, as they went, indicates something happened happened on the inside of them. But as they took that very first step, something was at work inside of them. And that was that if they trusted in the words of Jesus, then their need would be met. And I want you to know that faith, uh, faith precedes obedience. Obedience should immediately follow faith, but it starts with a believing heart trusting the Lord and believing what God has said is true and that God is not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie and if he promised it, he will fulfill it. And so as they went, they discovered that they were cleansed. And I want you to know, I just would like to have seen the look on their faces as they journeyed together as a group. I don't know how far down the road they got before each man began to look down at his leprous body and instead of seeing the diseased flesh 
with the stench of sin and the stench of sickness upon him and all of a sudden his skin is made as smooth and as clean as a newborn babe. I don't know if it meant that suddenly ears began to reform on the side of people's heads. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I believe that. I, I don't know if it meant that one man had one eye and all of a sudden now he's seeing through two. I don't know if his limbs were gnarled and all of a sudden they're stretched out by the power of God. But I can only imagine that once they discovered that they were cleansed, what a marvelous moment it was. When that deadly destructive effect of leprosy was gone in one instant of time by the grace and the power of God. When degenerating skin is immediately and miraculously cleansed. When limbs are restored and facial features are restored. Well, I want you to know in like manner when you discover what Christ has done for you on the cross and you understand and in one moment of time your sins were a scarlet but now they're white like wool and at one instant of time you were an unregenerate heathen and now you're accepted in the beloved. Oh, what a marvelous work God can do in one instant of time in our lives. The impact of this miracle would be great. And think about that in their minds. They're thinking. I believe in that moment of time, it's like their life is is quickly. They've got a vision for their future again. They're going to be restored to their family. Our family's looking forward. Our middle son, Austin's been in the military for six months, and we're less than two weeks away from getting to see him again. And we're so excited as a family. And I can imagine those dads or perhaps even those moms were looking forward to hugging their babies one more time. Or maybe they were grandparents, and they're going to get to be with their grandbabies one more time or maybe they were businessmen and they were going to get to lead their businesses again. They were going to get to celebrate birthdays. They were going to get to celebrate weddings. They were going to get to go up to the house of the Lord and rejoice in all that God had given them and all that God had done. And so there was a marvelous work of grace that was revealed unto them. And nine received the miracle and they understood its impact upon their lives and they continue on their way to the temple to show the priest that they were cleansed. But I love the 15th verse because it says this, King James English, and one of them. I have a question for you today. Are you one of them? Are you one of the folk that says God has done something in my life so marvelous, so wonderful, so powerful, so gracious that I cannot sit here quiet and let this moment pass me by. See, the priest that could pronounce him whole was one way, but the priest that had made him whole was another way. And one of them said, you can go to church if you want to. I'm going to go to Jesus because he's the one that's released me of this deliberating disease. I want you to know today that it's okay for you to have a loud voice. It's okay for you to glorify God. It's okay for you to fall on your face at the feet of Jesus and begin to worship him because I want you to know I believe that our highest praise should be connected to and it should be revealed through our understanding of the fullness of the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. Let me give you an example. In the book of Colossians, the first chapter, Paul said this, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us to be meet, fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and the power of sin. The power of sin has broken over me. I am no longer a sinner. I'm a saint in Christ Jesus. I still have to wrestle against sin, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit who abides within me, I'm not held under the bondage of sin anymore. The same instruments I used to yield to sin, now I freely yield them unto God to serve him in spirit and in truth. Paul said God's delivered you from the power of darkness and he's translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. And here's how he did it. You have redemption through his blood even the redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Thank God today for the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it precious blood. So listen very carefully. Our highest praise, I believe, your highest praise should be released upon the revelation that you and I were sinners, but now by virtue of his shed blood, we've been made whole by the blood of Jesus Christ. Tell you, that's a reason to shout right there. That's when things around you can be in hysteria. And you still got a reason to give God thanks. 
You can have an unstable economy, an unstable political world like we live in today and crisis with ISIS and every time you turn the news on, it's, it's demoralizing and, and it's, uh, it, it, it's depressing. But I'll tell you what, when we go to the word of God and we see what Christ has accomplished through his death on the cross, then we have a reason to, with a loud voice, give God glory. I tell you, I thank God for the, the ability to praise God freely and openly. Let me tell you about the Pentecostal church for just a moment. I appreciate so much being able to worship with you crazy people. I do. I do. I thank God that you come in here not restrained, not inhibited by religion. You say, I don't care what people say. I don't care what people look upon me. I remember what my life was like before he found me. I know we say it all the time. Well, I found God. I'm going to correct you. You didn't find God because he wasn't lost. He found you. He had been looking for you since he started looking for man in the Garden of Eden. And he kept looking until he found you lost and undone in your sin. And he found you there. He washed you, cleansed you, and made you whole and welcomed you into his family. And when I have an opportunity to come into his house, I want to enter his gates with thanksgiving and I want to enter his courts with praise. I want to say this is the day that the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and be found glad in it. See, I was a stranger, weren't you? I was a foreigner. I was like the leper. I was afar off. But now, by virtue of the blood of Jesus, I've been brought nigh to the household of faith, and so therefore I'm a child of the living God. Royal blood flows through my veins today. I want you to know today you can live your life knowing that we are sons and daughters of God. I've said this before. Then The book of Romans reveals a great mystery. Before the cross, Jesus was called the only begotten Son of God. But after the cross, he's called the firstborn among many brethren. He so loved you that he gave his blood so that you could be welcomed into the family of God. And now you and I are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We got a reason to shout and give God thanks today. I believe that there are reasons in our Pentecostal charismatic churches today for what, there are variable reasons, various reasons, where we don't have the type of praise service that we ought to have. Let me just throw a couple of them out at you because I don't want them to be a part of who we are here today. Many don't want to offend those who are more reserved. It's called being seeker friendly. Here's what I want to be. I want to be respectful to those who are more reserved. And I want to be respectful to the people group that may not worship the way that I am. But just because you have not found a reason to raise your hands, just because you hadn't found a reason to twirl and dance before the Lord, doesn't mean I should sit here and be inhibited by your refusal to worship God in spirit and in truth. I know if it offends you, I'm sorry. But bless God, I want to show God the, 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 how much I thank Him for all He's done through Christ Jesus. Number two, whatever reason, this generation of Pentecostalism doesn't want to be one of them, the previous generations of Pentecostalism, because we don't want to be labeled a holy roller or a zealot or a fanatic. Well, I don't know. When I go back and listen to some of the sermons of those brothers of days gone by, they had an anointing on their life. They were breaking yokes of bondage. Signs and wonders were following them. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to just confess to you what they had, I want, because I want the anointing of God upon my life. So I want you to know I want to be one of them. Label me with that radical, zealot bunch of folk called holy rollers. If I roll holy for Jesus and I'll roll holy, he's done too much in me to sit here quiet and not give God all the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number three, we've connected praise to material blessing and wealth. We became the prosperity generation within the church. Now, let me say this and make a clarification. We should give God praise when he's blessed your life. We should, but it shouldn't be our highest praise. There's a mystery connected to the highest praise. Our highest praise should be offered because I'm washed, cleansed, Forgiven, made whole, justified. Do you understand what that means? If you don't, you need to get a thesaurus and you need to get a dictionary and a concordance and study it out because it will bless your life. Justified means in the Greek it is just as if, come on, you have never sinned. 
Come on, God has done more than acquit you. God has declared you righteous, justified and righteous in his eyes through Jesus Christ. And God has also given us an eternal home in his eternal city. I'm still looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I don't know why one of our greatest doctrines has become one of our most distant doctrines today, and it's called heaven. I I still thank God we ought to rejoice when we think about, Jesus said this in Luke chapter number 10. When he sent his disciples out to preach, they came back and they were rejoicing because they had exercised the authority of the name of Jesus and devils were subject unto them. And that was a powerful thing. That's that passage of scripture. Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. I give you power to tread on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. However, he said this, but notwithstanding, rejoice not not that devils are subject unto you through my name, but rather rejoice that your name is written in my Father's, come on, in the Lamb's book of life. So we got to get back to a place where we recognize this earth is not our home. I'm just a passing through. I got my eye set on an eternal glory. Paul said, I forget those things that are behind, that I press toward the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. The highest call of God is not just prosperity on this side of eternity. The highest call of God is eternal life where we live eternally in the presence of he who loved us and gave his shed blood for us. Glory to God. I tell you what, I thank God for abundant life. But I thank God for eternal life first and foremost. I thought about my own family. I know that you have in your own mind, you think about the things God's blessed you with. And I thought for a moment of time and I thought, you know, God has been so gracious and kind to me personally. First of all, I have the most beautiful of wives who gets prettier as she ages. And I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but she is slightly older than I. But I want you to know she's getting, more, she, she's getting better as she ages. And then I, I have such a beautiful and handsome family. I'm telling you, they do. The nut has not fallen far from the tree. I have the most beautiful and handsome, well-behaved, now adult, almost adult children. And you know what? We live in, the the reality is this. We are not impoverished. We don't live in in a small little house on this side of eternity. We have a big, beautiful home. We live in the middle of a 40-acre farm that we're so blessed. See, God will give you the desires of your heart. Come on, if you're faithful. God is faithful, and he gives us resources and blessings and favor. And I want to give him thanks and praise for all those things. However, I want my highest praise. The reason I want to be one of them is because when the church is one way and Jesus is another, I'm going to Jesus. Listen, the reason why I fall before him is not because of a house or a farm or a wife or children. The reason I fall before him, the reason I give God glory, the reason I thank God with a loud voice unashamedly in the house of God, the reason I sing, clap, shout, dance is because in the words of the Apostle Paul, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insulter, but God in his great mercy saved me and redeemed me. We, you and I, collectively, we were unrighteous, we were adulterers, we were fornicators, we were drunkards, addicts, idolaters, thieves, covetous and we were extortionists Uh, I was born a sinner and I sinned but now you and I are washed we're sanctified we're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so therefore we will glorify God unashamedly with a loud voice because he's taken away our sin nature and given us his eternal nature and so therefore we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth glory to God we fall before him And give him glory, praise, and thanks. It's our highest praise. Come on. If your praise is always connected to your material blessing, what do you do when you are not in a season of blessing? It's one thing when you're praising God because you got a blessing on the job. What about when they outsource your job to China? What about when the economy goes sour? Now, we can still trust God and we will trust God. But when you are, what about when your spouse walks out on you? Honey, don't act like it doesn't happen because it does happen. Right? Or one of your children shun you that you sowed love into for so long. You say, well, Pastor, I don't have a reason to shout. Yes, you do have a reason to shout. I stand in the backdrop of it every Sunday. It's the cross of Calvary. God found you in your sin, washed you in the blood of his son, and brought you into his eternal family. You've got a reason to give God thanks. 
Ephesians 1 and 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Let me read that slower so you can catch it. To the praise of the glory of His grace, He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Remember, they were social outcasts, the lepers. But once they were cleansed, they were brought back into the family. You and I have been cleansed and we've been brought into God's eternal family. In whom we have redemption through what? Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And it should unlock within us our highest praise. Let me tell you a little story this morning as I get ready to close in just a moment of time. It's about a, a, an evangelist that, who has, uh, I had a, he had a great impact on my life because of just getting to listen to his radio ministry long years ago and, and CDs and tapes, or t- not CDs, but tapes that Brother Ray Cawthorn had given me. And, and as my style of preaching was getting developed, and everybody has a style of preaching, and I was emulating those that I was listening to. And this particular gentleman was named R.W. Shambach. And R.W. Shambach has gone on to be with the Lord in 2012, but he preached for about 60 years all over the world. And he always closed his radio broadcast with these words. He would say, friend, he said, you don't have any troubles. All you need is faith in God. The reason why he would say that, and this is not where I'm going with the story, but just to just put that nugget down, is he was preaching one time and a man invited Brother Shambach back to his house to eat. And normally during his tent crusades, he would not go back to someone's home because everybody wanted the preacher to come over, but he felt inclined to go to this brother's house. And this brother began to tell him about, a sto- about what had happened, what he had come through recently, that he had been diagnosed with a deadly disease. That disease had hospitalized him for months. Through that time period, they had mortgaged their house, lost their house, he lost his job, lost his employment, and he slipped into a coma. And while in that coma, he was cognitively aware of the things around him, but he could not speak or say anything at all. And he was at the point of death, and they had sent in the Catholic priest to read over him his last rites and to sprinkle him with water and all those things that the Catholics do. And he said that he saw him, and as he was reading him his last rites, he said, he said, I was screaming out and saying, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm not dead, I'm alive, but he couldn't say anything. And he said, when the priest, uh, he said, when he finished uh, his reading of his last rites, he was dressed in a red robe and he closed the door behind him and he said, when into the hospital room walked another priest. This one wasn't wearing red, he was wearing white. He didn't come through the door but he came through the wall and he leaned over in the ear of that man and he said, friend, you don't have any troubles. All you need is faith in God. And so that got down inside of R.W. Shambach and that was how he would, he would close all of his radio broadcasts to stimulate faith. But the story of Brother Shambach real quickly is that he had accepted Christ as a young man listening to a youth pastor like our own Jojo Riggs preaching on a street corner in Pennsylvania and there he had given his heart to Christ and the youth mentor, youth pastor became his mentor and he began to feel his heart warm towards the call to ministry but he just was unwilling to, uh, to surrender to that call He already had his own plans. He was going to go to college on a basketball scholarship. He was going to uh, become an FBI agent. And he was already had everything planned. How many of you know, but God has other plans sometimes. Uh, And our job is to line our plans up to the plans of God. And and so Brother Shambach became a modern day Jonah. In order to kind of get away from that environment of that call of God, he joined the Navy. Now this was in 1944. And the United States was not necessarily in the the middle of but nearing the end of World War II and he was on a destroyer and there on that destroyer uh, young Shambach learned that God had a hold on his life and, and he wasn't letting go and God took that particular destroyer through typhoons and air attacks and kamikaze missions uh, uh, and suicide dives and mine sweeps and multiple escort missions from Iwo Jima to Okinawa and Nagasaki and but all the while God was preserving that particular destroyer where, when, while Unfortunately, other destroyers were going up in flames around them. But it was in September of 1945 that America signed a peace treaty with Japan. And there in Nagasaki Harbor, Brother Shambach was on the ship that was in the harbor to welcome some of the former POWs that had been held in some of the most brutal POW camps. The Japanese were extremely cruel and brutal to their captives because they believed you should fight to the death. And why would you surrender? And so they were brutal. And these 
men were being brought back onto the ship and they had, they, had, they had come from the showers. That's all they had was just a towel on their body. All races and colors were represented, brown and white, red and black. And they were all skin and bones and had nothing but a towel around them. But when those soldiers caught sight of the American hospital ship, they forgot all protocol. Instead of that customary salute to the commanding officer, they did cartwheels and flips. Some lost their towels. Others grabbed and kissed the commanding officer. They clung to him, Jojo. They had been freed and they had no shame. And it was right there while the young R.W. Sandbach is watching this display of, of, of emotion, of release, of deliverance, of freedom that he knew. He knew that if a man could find such liberty released from an earthly prison, what about when you preach the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ and you bring men out of an eternal prison of sin and you bring them into the eternal kingdom of God and there with tears streaming down his face he knelt on the platform of that destroyer and he said God I surrender to the call of ministry because I want to bring men out of sin and bondage and bring them into the kingdom of God's dear son now why did you share that Pastor Brown because if you and I could have just a little bit of revelation, a reminder of what the bondage of sin was like and the liberty of being in Christ, then we'll have praise services unlike any time in our past because God has done a marvelous work in us through Christ. Let me tell you, church family, as I close, I'm going to ask Daryl, Shane, I think we're going to go ahead and bring the worship team back. We're going to do that one. I didn't tell them, but we're going to do it. I just feel like we ought to. On this Thanksgiving weekend, I think we ought to just crank up. I'm going to do that one song, I Will Rise. I thought the words of it were saying, I was about to preach my sermon today. And I think that's a good thing. Church family, are you one of them? Is that okay? I think it's all right to be one of them. I think your highest praise will be released when you have a revelation of the nature of sin, the deadly effect of sin, and your deliverance from sin through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a liberating moment it can be in the lives of God's children. Y'all come back and join me here. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed as they prepare to come today for just a moment of time. I just feel like we came in with praise. We ought to go out with praise today. We came in singing. We ought to go out singing and celebrating and rejoicing in the good things of God. But as our heads are bowed and our eyes closed and nobody's looking around for just a moment of time, I'll tell you today, I don't know who came in here. I don't know who came this day because you were invited by a family member or friend. Some of you occasionally come. Some of you are distantly attached to our church. Some of you have gotten to know personally in the community. And I just feel like in my heart of hearts there's some here today that you just simply say, Pastor, I need to experience that great liberty that you're talking about today. The liberty of knowing that my sins are forgiven. You know, you can experience the blessings of God, but there's no great blessing comparable to the blessing of being delivered and free from sin. Sin is deadly, it's destructive, it's degenerating. But I tell you what, there's an antidote to the person of Jesus Christ. You know, coming to church is not enough. It's about believing what Christ did for us on the cross trusting in his blood see sir you can't save yourself those lepers could have conspired for 30 years and never been able to take away that terrible disease called leprosy but when they simply believed in Jesus in a moment's time all their sorrow was washed away and they were made whole I'm telling you, that can happen to you today, sir. That can happen to you today, ma'am, if you'll put your faith and your trust in Jesus. It happened to all of us. We became one of them because we experienced those graces, that grace and that goodness that God's given us in Christ. I tell you, before we sing a song of worship and praise and adoration and celebration, before we strike this song any further at all I just feel like it would be wrong if I didn't give you an invitation give you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life how long are you going to live this way how long are you going to be in that condition when there's healing available to you healing is available in the person of Jesus Christ all you have to do is believe repent of your sins and believe in Christ 
and God will make you clean today. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice from my left to right, your right to my left, that would quickly slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I need Jesus today. Would you pray with me, Pastor Brown? I want to experience that liberty that you're talking about. I'm in the bondage of sin. My life is, is sinful. My nature is sin. I've sinned and I've not accepted Christ as my Savior. Pastor, would you pray with me today? Let me see your hand if that's you. Slip it up quickly today. I'm scanning and I'm looking. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. This message is for you. It's for all of us, but it may be for one person here today, young or old alike. Don't let this moment pass you by. If you're here today then, and you need Christ, this is your moment right now. Don't wait any longer. This is your moment. It's for you. It's not enough to just come to church. It's not enough to just be mere Christians. It's about a personal relationship with God through Christ.